0: We walked through the woods and we saw the flowers and we said, how do you value a farm like this? Because we knew it would never make any money. It would never be commercially viable. And so we said, what do we do? Do we pay a halfpenny for every um, wood sorrel? Do we pay um, a penny for every primrose? How can you value a farm for its wildlife when you know that you can't get paid back for it?
1: Happy National Meadows Day. In this episode, we join award-winning farmer Audrey Compton to talk about why she is helping protect some of the UK's last surviving wildflower meadows. I'm Marianne Brown, and this is Resurgence Voices. Ethical living.
0: Ecology. activism, Resurgence. We bought Deer Park Farm 18 years ago. Uh, We were looking just for a few little fields um, just to give us some conservation things that we could do and we both had full-time jobs. Um, John's a plant breeder and I was um, working full-time as a countryside ranger but I had had a a farm before, a dairy farm so we sort of knew the ropes. Um, When this farm came up we just saw it and fell in love with it and we just had to find the money somehow to buy it. Audrey
1: and her partner John Wetman won the National Meadows Award in 2015 for their work on Deer Park Farm in Chudley, South Devon. The awards, set up by the Save Our Magnificent Meadows Partnership, recognise farmers and landowners in the UK who are protecting precious grassland and meadows. I met her in March this year. What was it being used for before you bought it?
0: Uh, it was being used for sheep and cattle in a fairly traditional way and it was also a few fields were being used for cut flowers which we haven't continued with and those fields which used to be really rich in flora lots of species of meadow flowers they deteriorated a bit for being used for for cut flowers Um, but we've just left them, uh, grazed them with sheep and they're now going back to being really species rich so really beautiful meadows, and one right up on top of the hill there that we cut for hay, has now got about a thousand green-winged orchids in it every year. So we sort of caught it just in time.
1: Gosh, yeah. Um, so how big is the farm?
0: Uh, it's about 47 hectares, and of that, 37 hectares are grassland, and nearly all of it is species-rich now. And the other 10 hectares are woodland, most of which is what we call semi-ancient woodland. In other words, it's been woodland for over 300 years and it's got lots of the proper woodland flowers growing underneath the trees. Yeah.
1: So when you say it can't be commercially viable, uh, what do you mean exactly?
0: Well, if we were to stock it um, with the same amount of cattle and sheep that you'd have on 37 hectares normally then you'd find that your flowers would vanish and your butterflies would vanish and all of the little tiny insects that make this farm special would diminish in numbers and if we had to use fertilisers fossil fuel fertilisers and pesticides as well then it would be gone in, in a month it would be gone so it's really important that it's farmed organically and we are very very careful about how much stock we have so we have probably um about a third the number of animals that we would have if we were having to make more money out of it
1: okay cuz we um uh, i mean you often hear about the a really terrifying percentage of of meadow and um, native species lost yeah. uh, over the last hundred years, and it's usually around ninety percent. I think it's ninety seven percent of the meadows, meadows have been that's lost right. since, since since World War Two.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, so it was a miracle that these hadn't been lost. But the miracle is because the farm is so steep, and so nobody really wanted to risk their life, ploughing it, fertilising it, spraying it and that's why it's still like it is most of our fields are so steep that even with modern four-wheel drive tractors you're pretty careful where you go and how you know what conditions you use a tractor under cool. so yeah that's that saved it we we bought an extra uh, 7 hectares of woodland that adjoins the farm just because it's beautiful semi-ancient woodland probably was a medieval waste, incredibly steep, and got lots of beautiful trees, and the brook goes through it. So good good bat habitat, good habitat for everything. But for the people, they were probably um, cutting gorse, a uh, lovely prickly plant with its yellow flowers, which they'd be using probably for the village bread oven, because it burns so hot and you can cook bread with it. So although it was called a waste, in medieval times, waste did not mean what we use as waste, which is shocking. Um, waste meant it had a different use, and its use was probably more of a community use.
1: That's fascinating.
0: You see we've got lots of primroses coming out under oh, the trees. Oh, lovely, yeah. Yeah. So lots of primroses here, and the bluebells are the lush green that will be coming out and these are the the wild daffodils that grow in sort of clayey woods the farm is very traditional it's divided into 24 little fields uh, which average less than a sorry, just over a hectare each Mm. and the fields are bounded by hedgerows and we're standing by one right now um, the hedgerows are medieval, we've got about 5 kilometres of hedgerow on the farm, which makes it wonderful habitat for bats, because bats actually um, use hedgerows to travel along, they navigate using them, and particularly the greater horseshoe bats, which live in our area, uh, which have become so rare across the whole of Europe. So our hedgerows are very important, and we... Re- On a rotation of about 15 years, we lay the hedges. And that's a a peculiarly English thing, where um, you cut out a lot of the growth, especially the bigger, um, thicker stuff, which you can turn into logs and use for your fires. And that's what we use for all of our heat and cooking and hot water. Um, And the smaller growth, you can just cut through just over half and then bend it down and bend it horizontal along the ground um, and peg it down, and it will make your hedge much thicker. And in three or four years' time, that hedge will be about three metres high and will be a really good habitat for birds to nest in and for all of our wildlife to use. Whereas if you leave a hedge, after about 30 years, it almost becomes a sort of long length of woodland, And there isn't the bottom thick growth that the birds and the little mammals uh, need to live in. And it doesn't actually make such a a warm, cosy micro-habitat as this little lane that we're standing in, which is much warmer than the top of the hill, I promise. The top of the hill will be quite chilly today.
1: Do you know if there are many other um, traditional hedges laid like this in the area?
0: There are quite a lot, but it really depends on grant aid funding. Um, And we have had a lot of grant aid to help us with our hedges. When we moved in, um, nothing had been done for many, many years. Only two hedges had been done in perhaps 30 years. And we've now almost got round all of them. And we've been given some grant aid, which has helped us to do it. So mostly my husband's done the work. Um, but sometimes we've got in either volunteers or contractors to help. Um, I have to say that we're worried as farmers about the future because the funding has been partly EU and we felt that was a good thing. Uh, So we're worried, but we will have to see what happens.
1: And what kind of species, other species, do you see in the hedgerows then?
0: Um, We've got oak and ash. We've got hazel and holly. Blackthorn, hawthorn, field maple, um, willow and sometimes things like gorse as well and spindle, which is right by us as we stand here, and dogwood. So the the species vary a bit with the pH of the soil uh, and our pH is reasonably neutral, which means we've got quite a wide range of species, which makes our hedges more interesting more exciting and more valuable for wildlife too
1: Mm. and have you seen any other um, endangered species arrive at the hedges since you've been doing work at them
0: i don't think we've had many new species that we notice we to be honest um, when you get to invertebrates and very small things that you need magnifying glasses for it all gets quite difficult we have actually done a lot of species recording on the farm because we love it and we've managed to get various specialists who are friends to come and help us so we've reached 1100 different species on the farm but it's very hard to know um, what's coming in but it's sometimes very worrying to see what is going and we've got a couple of rare plant species which have just vanished were very scarce when we came and we now haven't seen for several years. And it's very difficult for us to manage the farm as an island. It isn't an island. Uh, We have neighbours who use pesticides. This is a fairly eco-friendly part of the world, but there will be um, farmers around who are using uh, substances which are going to certainly affect our insect life. Um, And we can't stop that, and we cannot stop um, the sort of effects of um, climate change and of simple weather bringing pollutants from industrial areas. Once again, we're not badly affected because we're not upstream or upwind of an industrial area, but it is reckoned that quite a bit of nitrogen falls on your grass just through air pollution. So that's not good. Here. Even out here. So although we're not putting any on the grass, all that goes on our fields is the dung from our animals. But we are getting it whether we want it or not.
1: So is this quite typical of the other fields?
0: This, These are probably two of the best fields. Um, and the reason for that is that some years ago, they didn't belong to this farm bef- long before we came here. But they were owned by um, a neighbour who was very, very interested in botanical stuff. And so he looked after these two fields very carefully. And although he's dead now, I think he'd be delighted to know that they're still being looked after really carefully. The rest of the farm is is very good, and some of the fields are as good as this. But other fields, um, during the summer, look less good. They have less flowers. But in the autumn, some of those are the fields that have the wax caps the hygrocybe um, species of wax caps and we've got um, i think it's 18 species we've identified now which makes it nationally important mm. here for these beautiful pink scarlet yellow green blue um, all sorts of incredible colors so we have a flowering in spring and summer and we have another quite different flowering mm. of fungi in the autumn
1: wonderful
0: if if we stopped and if we climbed over this field, we we can go down through another one instead. Um, just by looking down by your feet, you mm-hmm. can see the different leaves. Oh yeah. And you know that you've got a lot of different species there. This is a bit slippery. Okay. If we look down here, you can see lots of different species. Oh yeah. Um, there'll be a lot more later, but even oh, here, yeah. you can see that there's two different species of buttercups as well as various different grasses.
1: So um, when do you say you're very careful with managing the cattle to to keep the quality of the meadows? Can you explain a little bit about how you do that?
0: Yeah, it's really a matter of having small groups of animals um, travelling around the farm, not staying in any field for too long. And some fields each year we will graze very lightly so that when they flower the flowers can seed and the cattle are very good at this because cattle um, are fairly random in how they graze so the cattle are extremely important both for the flowers and also for the bats because cattle dung being rather runny and most people would think pretty revolting is actually delicious to uh, dung beetles and various other creatures which is so important to the bats so having cattle is something we decided we wanted to do because particularly because of the bats because we realized that in our area there were less and less farmers keeping uh, cattle and that that was going to have a bad effect on the greater horseshoe bats who have their maternity roost only um, about one and a half miles away and when the babies are very young they can only go a very short distance to get food but when they're a little bit older, they can make it out to a farm like ours, um, which isn't too far away. So it's, it's important for all of those things. The sheep are important too, but sheep are very systematic grazers. They go into a field and the first thing they eat is every single flower. And their particular preference is for orchids. So if you would a field full of orchids, then if you're short of grass you will watch your sheep go in and eat the whole lot hundreds of them in 45 minutes and you will cry a bit Um, but at the same time they have a very good purpose as well they're very good at keeping down various weeds and most fields need to be grazed down tight every now and then every couple of years so a balance of sheep and cattle is is good
1: So uh, what do other farmers, what kind of livestock do other farmers have? Do they mostly have sheep?
0: I think around here there's mostly sheep, but there certainly are cattle. But definitely around Chudley, which is where our horseshoe bats live, um, it's a growing community with lots of houses being built. And so quite a lot of fields that used to be grazed by cattle have actually been built on. And so we're losing habitat in that way.
1: Are bats something that you're particularly interested in? Or is it just something that came up on your radar, as it were?
0: Um, I don't think... uh, We're we're interested in all wildlife. Um, I think we're particularly keen... Look, There's a a female queen bumblebee just looking for somewhere to make her nest. Um, Yeah, we're interested in everything. Uh, Bats, it's slightly harder to be interested in because, of course, they come out at night. Um, But because... I was a ranger and I was used to doing night walks with a bat detector. I got more interested in them. And because um, Chudley is part of a European special area of conservation for its bats, uh, we realised just how important it is for them. So I think it's important for local farmers to try and do a bit for for these very rare bats. Plenty of pheasants, but they're not, not our pheasants. They've come to us from other farms that have shoots in the winter. Oh,
1: there are there quite a few around here?
0: Yes, yeah, there are a lot.
1: Do you ever get uh, requests for badger culling or fox hunting or anything around here?
0: We haven't done. I think we wouldn't want fox hunting anyway. We're quite happy to have a small number of foxes that are naturally here. Yeah. Um, occasionally we lose a lamb or two. Um, if we lost an awful lot of lambs, I guess we could get more worried. Mm. But most people wouldn't want to come fox hunting here because it's too steep and their horses might break their legs. Mm. So that's quite good because we don't even get asked. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we're not sort of we're not big antis in any particular direction. But I think that we've got to have places where wildlife is put first. That's what's most important to us yeah wildlife comes first Mm -hmm. and we can do that here because of the grants we've got Mm. the higher level stewardship grants um which are partly eu funded and that means that we actually get a little bit more money for looking after the wildlife than the total sales of animals off the farm each year oh
1: really
0: yeah um we have to work to do it you know it's not free money And we're very happy to do it. We try and do it anyway. But it does help farmers a lot to get some money Mm. for something which the public often expect us to do but don't realise that actually it's an enormous cost. Mm. It's much cheaper to bring a tractor in and cut your hedge than to lay it every 15 years. Mm. But it's much better for wildlife if you lay it. Mm. It's difficult. Mm.
1: Has the attention you've received... um, Do you think that's influenced your neighbours at all?
0: I don't think we've necessarily influenced our neighbours, but I hope that we've influenced people who come and visit us and see what we've got. I mean, if, if we can influence people to want to buy more organic food or to just buy more carefully and buy local food, then we're helping wildlife. So every time we have a group of people visit, we do all the fun stuff. And I also almost literally get down on my knees and beg them to look after the world.
1: That's all for Resurgence Voices for now. For more in-depth interviews with leading thinkers and change makers, head to resurgence.org. For more information on the Magnificent Meadows campaign, go to magnificentmeadows.org. Thanks for listening.